All right, let's see. I got the issue I want to talk about. I got the fan going. I got my iced tea. Got a Superman shirt on. Flux capacitors fluxing. I think I got... Oh, forgot to put pants on. Eh, they'll never know. Let's go ahead and do this. Okay, kids. It's all right now. Back to the Bins proudly presents I've got a few things to say about Superman. Hello and welcome once again to I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman. My name is Snark McGill. Welcome to the show. This time around, we are going to be... Well, you know, before we get into that, I just remember we have emails! I love emails. <laughs> I love the title on this one. The email title is simply, Superman Related, Not Spam. Charlie Niemeyer's been paying attention. He uh, obviously heard me talking. I can't remember if it was last issue or the... Or, excuse me, last uh, episode, rather. Issue sewed. Last issue sewed or the one before that, where I had mentioned that uh, our... Uh, gmail inbox all of them for two true freaks we have a number of different ones all of them are being inundated with spam i mean just ridiculous amounts of it and i had mentioned that uh if you have written to the show and you have not heard your uh email written uh excuse me read on the show then likely it was accidentally deleted as i go through and uh just try to weed everything out so um i had stated that if you're sending a, a email to the show from now on make sure that your uh, subject line is very clear that it is not spam so that's exactly what charlie put in the uh, title here this one simply says scott since you mentioned uh that you might have deleted this the last time i sent it as a spam i thought i'd try again first of all i'm enjoying this new superman centric version of the show not that i wasn't enjoying it before but i enjoy hearing about superman stories more than the night nurse stories now come on i don't think we ever did cover night nurse did we or maybe we did i can't remember uh plus the one-on-one -on -one simple style show is a nice change of pace from the other two true freak show you know i'm i'm not sure how to take that also, welcome to the Superman Podcast Network, officially anyway. Our interns probably aren't as good as the ones from Demonzo Core, and in parentheses he writes, which I probably spelled wrong. No, actually, I believe you spelled that perfectly right. Um, I think we often uh, change the spelling back and forth, but uh, to my recollection, that's how I've always spelled it. He says, but they'll cosplay, so there is that. It's nice to have you along. Well, thank you. It's nice to be along. I have been a complete lazy slob because I didn't really realize how the actual site for the Superman Podcast Network works. Um, I believe it's very similar to, oh, what is it? The CPN, the Comics Podcast Network, where you actually have to go in and, and post up your new episodes. Yeah, um, anybody that's been following us on the CPN will know that I haven't been doing that. I, I, You know, it just got to be so time-intensive, and we put out, let's face it, we put out so many episodes, I fell behind. And once I fell behind, I, I you know, for a while I, I was trying to go back and, and keep up, and I finally was just like, out ah, of hell with it. You know, I, I, I can't keep up with it. So, yeah, I'm a lazy slob that way. So, 
when I realized that the Superman podcast network worked kind of the same way, I was kind of like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of it, but yeah, I, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I have not been posting my episodes up there. So, but yes, I am very proud to be uh, a part of that. Thank you guys for, uh, letting me come to, uh, to play in your pool and I'll try not to pee in your pool. Uh, Charlie continues, also, I'm writing to you because now that you're an official full-fledged member of the Superman Podcast Network, I need to add you to the promo. If you've heard the promo, you know how it works. I don't need anything fancy. All I need from you is a sound file that is uh, that just has you state your name and the name of the show. Just get it to me when you can, and I'll throw it in there. Um, well, yeah, again, with the whole lazy slob thing, yeah, never happened. But Charlie, Charlie's awesome. He just went into one of my episodes and pulled out the clips that he needed and went ahead and uh, and made that happen. He uh, got tired of waiting around for me, which if he uh, was, you know, he'd still be waiting if uh, if he was waiting on me. So I will uh, throw that in at some point later in the show so you can hear it. It is a really cool promo, and uh, he did a great job of uh, collecting the sound clips that he needed to update the uh Superman Podcast Network promo. It is awesome. Charlie concludes with, again, welcome to the team and keep up the good work. And if you need assistance covering any stories, let me know. I shall. I absolutely. Thank you, Charlie. I appreciate that. And for this time, we have one other, and this is from ever-faithful listener Mike Petit, Biblio Mike, on the uh, uh, Forum for Geeks. Uh, .com forums, which, by the way, if you're not a member, uh, you need to be a member. Even if you just want to come over and lurk and just see what people are talking about, it is a great forum, and uh, it's just a lot of fun. So come on over and join the party over there. Mike's uh, email is entitled, Something to Say About Superman, Episode 5 Feedback. He says, Hey, Scott, you're right. This really was a fun story. As I said before, I'm not so enthusiastic about Superboy, out of the context of the Legion of Superheroes. The whole concept is just a bit too goofy for my taste. I mean, Superboy's basement lab alone gives me a creepy Dr. Frankenstein vibe about the kid. But I did enjoy this story, or at least your recounting of it. Well, thank you. Since I especially like the revelation of Dr. Krylo's survival plan. I've always been fascinated by Superman's Kryptonian backstory, pretty much uh, in all the incarnations of the character. That's one reason why I was so disappointed in Kevin J. Anderson's novel, The Last Days of Krypton. What an opportunity to tie together as many of those wild and wonderful elements as he could, but it's really a slow book full of flat characters and a standard melodramatic bad guy tries to conquer the world plot. Have you read the book? Yes, I have. And uh, yeah, I thought it sucked. Um... I completely agree with your assessment. What an opportunity, and Anderson completely dropped the ball. I thought it was a terrible book. Um, The biggest problem, however, and, you know, this is where my, my, you know, nerdiness is really going to shine. My biggest problem with that book is it doesn't fit anywhere. It's, I guess it was an attempt by Anderson or DC or somebody to, as you say, kind of collect the the diverse... um, how did you put it here? Wild and wonderful elements uh, of the different versions of Superman and and of Krypton and collect it into one story and kind of try to make sense. The problem with doing something like that is then by trying to embrace everything, you embrace nothing. And it doesn't tie to any one particular version of Superman, which 
kind of relegates it to like Elseworld status. And when you relegate something to Elseworld status, in Scott's mind, you relegate that to why the hell should I care about this status? And so, yeah, I slogged through it and uh, yeah, my assessment stands. I thought it sucked. The biggest problem with it was that Anderson tried to embrace all the different versions of why Krypton blew up in the first place. Because over time, that story's changed a number of times um, to where, you know, it's different things. You know, it was the planet had some sort of internal buildup that blew it up. Uh, the planet fell into the sun. The sun blew up. You know, there's been a number of different versions of why did Krypton, how was Krypton destroyed? What caused it to be destroyed? He kind of tried to embrace all of that. Plus, with throwing in Brainiac, and a, there was some other alien in the story that came down, you've got all of these crazy elements and these crazy stories happening within a, a, a fairly tight window of time, which, you know, by the title of the book, The Last Days of Krypton, it, it's just, it's a little bit too much happening in, in too small a span of time. And that that was a large element that I didn't like either. It, it felt rushed and it felt just bizarre that, wow, you know, because he tried to take sort of a um, real world's not really the right word I want to use, but, you know, kind of a realistic, you know, trying to make it as, as realistic and not goofy Silver Agey as possible. At least that was my interpretation. Yet, by throwing so much at you so fast in such a small span of time, it just made the story silly. So, yeah, I don't give high recommendations to that. Which is a shame, because it makes me that much more weary of another book that... Uh, or Leary, I guess I should say. Leary of a book that he put out... I can't remember the name of it. It was a Superman-Batman novel that came out maybe about a year, year and a half ago... I remember seeing it at like Walmart or something and it was a Superman Batman novel and I was just I saw it on the shelf and I was like hmm I wonder what this is and I was looking over the back cover and it was something about Superman and Batman in the 50s is like FBI agents or something like and it sounded kind of intriguing but yeah I felt really burned by this this book plus you know I'm not a basher on the guy I know the guy has some serious detractors I'm not a Kevin J Anderson basher but at the same rate I you know I've read a good number of his stuff and nothing none of it has ever really wowed me so yeah it, it's one of those things I mean if I find that paperback somewhere for a buck or something I might pick it up but other than that yeah I, I'm not gonna rush right out to read anything new um, Superman that that he's working on Anyway, that was a very long way of uh, answering your question. Yeah, I, di I didn't care for the book either. Um, and Michael, you know, he continues here saying, I realize I just gave it a not-so-great review, but everyone's mileage varies. Well, in my case, no. I, I think your, uh, your assessment was dead on. He says, like you, I was dumbfounded by the business about Jorel and Lara having inculcated their son with proper morality. I had to go back and listen to that quote twice to be sure I was hearing correctly. Even given that this is the Silver Age, where Kal-El uh, got to spend his infancy and toddlerhood on Krypton, the lion's share of the credit for Kal-El slash Clark's moral education goes to Ma and Pa Kent. Amen! I completely agree with you. He says, The kindly couple from Kansas and their legacy has been such a consistent element in Superman's origin story since 1938. I am really surprised uh, that bit made it past the editors, even in the Silver Age's relatively fast and loose approach to continuity. Yeah, this is one of those things where, to me, it owes heavily back to um, 
the the Kryptonian influence being much bigger and much more important important in um, Superman slash Superboy's life than at other times in in the character's history. I, I I definitely find that to be a very common element of the Superboy stories of the era, you know, of the time frame of when this story was published. I feel fairly familiar with the Superboy stories from that period because, as I say, you know, it was kind of when I was growing up reading that stuff, I have a lot of those back issues. And I've been re-examining a lot of those back issues and uh, yeah, the the Kryptonian thing is there to a point sometimes where, once again, I, I think I may have mentioned this last time, it really brings home to me um, a quote of John Burns that I always remembered where he had said flat out that one of the reasons he distanced Superman so much from his, uh, from his Kryptonian roots in Burns' version of Superman was because he felt that every time Superman said something like Great Krypton or Great Rao or something like that, he, he was spitting in Pa Kent's eye. I'll never forget that quote, spitting in Pa Kent's eye. Yeah, I can kind of see that. I, I can definitely see that, that, you know, th- this kindly couple raised him up, you know, gave him his, his moral fortitude and his background, and, you know, g- you know they were good, God-fearing, salt-of-the-earth Kansas folk, you know, from, from middle America, yet what does Superboy slash Superman grow up I- embracing and quoting and, and holding true and all that is, is the Kryptonian stuff. Yeah, I would, that does feel like a bit of a, of a, of a slap to the Kents, I think. So, yeah, I, I don't know if that's where you were going, but <laughs> if that was, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, Mike continues, Anyway, another fun episode. Your affection and enthusiasm for the issue blended with your ability to poke some good-natured and well-deserved fun at it. Uh, too many characters, too many flashbacks. Yeah, I like that part. Reminded me of the best episodes, oh my goodness, of Tom Cater's old Tom versus the Justice League podcast. Keep up the good work. Um, That is extremely high praise i don't agree with you but uh thank you that i take that as an extreme compliment tom is an incredible incredible podcaster and uh, yeah if you guys have not ever listened to any of tom's stuff uh, his name is spelled t-o-m tom caters it's k-a-t-e-r-s hunt him up on the internet listen to his stuff um yeah the tom versus the justice league was an excellent show and tom is he's just phenomenal and what amazes me about him was i don't think i ever heard an episode at one of his shows it was more than like 15 minutes but it was just great he encapsulated everything you needed to know it was fast it was frenetic it was funny as hell and tom is just he's a great guy definitely go back and uh, and give that stuff a listen and so far as i know he is still up and around um after he wrapped up uh, Tom versus the Justice League, he went on to do Tom versus the Flash, and I believe currently he's doing Tom versus Aquaman. Um, I'm just woefully behind on Tom's uh, stuff, but as I say, phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Some of the funniest podcasting you'll ever hear. So, uh, thank you, Mike. That uh, that was uh, that was extremely high praise. I'm I'm stunned and flattered. So, thank you very much. Um, he has a PS here. He says, regarding Superman the movie, was jor really threatened with trouble if he tried to leave Krypton? I didn't remember that, but it's been a while since I've watched it. It would seem to me the Council might be glad to be rid of him, the radical free-thinking uh, free troublemaker. Um, that's a good point. It seems like they would be like, hey, if you want to leave the planet, you know, more power to you because you're a nutcase. 
But no, I, that is actually an element of the beginning of Superman the movie is that, yeah, they, uh, I'm trying to remember how that scene plays out where they warn him that if he tries to warn the population, if he tries to basically give the, the, the full Kryptonian population the same warning he gave the council of the impending doom of the planet, that they would uh, charge him with insurrection. Um. And then I'm trying to remember how that goes. He goes, any attempts by uh, to create a fear of uh, climate of fear and panic among the populace must be deemed by us an act of insurrection. He says, you would accuse me of insurrection? Has it now become a crime to cherish life? And blah, blah, blah. And they cut him off and they say, will you abide by the council's decision? And he says, uh, I will remain silent. Nor Neither I nor my wife leave Krypton. And he always pronounced it Krypton, which drove me nuts. Um... So yeah, you know, come to think of it, I, I don't, they're not really threatening him uh, anything about leaving the planet. And so it's he himself that brings up that he won't leave the planet. However, in the full version, what, what I like to refer to as the KCOP version, which is my favorite version of the movie, they do detect, the, the council picks up an energy surge in Jor-El's quarters that I guess isn't specifically tied to the fact that he's trying to send something off-planet, but they do send one of those weird security dudes um, to Jor-El's quarters to investigate, and that guy actually dies in transit. That's that's all in unreleased footage. I don't even think that... I could be wrong, but I don't even think that's in the Donner cut, you know, the, uh, the special edition DVD that came out a few years ago. Um... Actually, one of you guys that owns, you know, one of those super deluxe awesome sets of all the DVDs and all, write in and let me know if any of that footage has been included in in one of those, you know, like I say, super deluxe box set things. Because I don't own any of that stuff. I, I know I should, but I know that the KCOP version, start to finish, is not available commercially, so I that's why I haven't bought it. Until they put that one out, I'm just not going to keep shelling it. I've already bought the movie on... You know, I've had it on VHS and, you know, every other thing that's been along, so I, I haven't invested in any of those those sets. But some of that footage may be available as, like, bonus extra footage or something like that. So, yeah, if it is, let me know, because I'm, I'm not aware of it if it is. Uh, Mike concludes with saying, really nice use of the Charlie X musical. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's it for emails for this time around. Thank you to uh, everyone that wrote in. And thank you, you know, the emails, and this is something I've actually been meaning to uh, to mention on, you know, the other Two True Freaks affiliated shows. You know, email, in the age we live in these days, email only reflects a tiny, tiny portion of the actual feedback that we get to any of our shows. You know, now that, you know, there's Facebook and the forum and all these different things, Twitter and, and such. Um you know, not to mention, you know, being able to be, uh, you know, PM'd, per, or not PM'd, but, uh, you know, texted personally and stuff like that. So, I, you know, I haven't included any of that stuff in our shows. I, I don't know that I will because, you know, trying to backtrack Facebook messages and stuff is kind of a pain. I like, I still like email for feedback for the shows because it's convenient. It's, it, it's in a folder. I can find it, you know. But... That said, we have been uh, receiving just phenomenal uh, feedback for the show, for this show in particular, and uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I, I have yet to get, you know, any, hey, that new show you're doing, that sucks, you know, nothing like that. So that's awesome. Now, now you know, I'll end up being flooded with uh, with Facebook messages that say that just by somebody being a smartass, but... 
Um, but no, what I'm trying to say is thank you very much. You guys seem to really dig the show. I'm having a blast doing the show. So thank you. I appreciate your, uh, your, uh, listenership with that said, uh, because I still have a healthy fear of this computer crashing at any given time without notice, I'm going to go ahead and save what I've recorded so far. You guys are going to get a quick commercial break and we'll come right back with the issue that we're going to be examining this time around. Gathered together. From the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. The Superman Podcast Network dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman Golden Age Superman The Superman Fan Podcast Superman in the Bronze Age From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast I've got a few things to say about Superman The Superman Vidcast The world's best podcast And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com As well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton and Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton from Hinden Audio Production. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com Welcome back! Hope you enjoyed that uh, that little commercial break there. Okay, so what are we talking about this time? This time around, we are going to be looking at Action Comics number 362. This was a 12-cent comic back way back when. When exactly? It was, uh, this is according to the Indicia, of course. This is the April 1968 issue. Is that important? Well, to me it is, and I'll explain why after the recap has a very, very cool cover on this. I want to say this is uh, Neil Adams. Am I right here? Let's see. I've got a quick little... It is Neil Adams. I thought so. It's a beautiful Neil Adams cover on this, and it's a bizarre one. You have this dude that... Okay, here's the mental image for you of what this evil guy looks like. Imagine... Um, Imagine an an emaciated Magneto with Doc Brown's hair and a weird maniacal leer on his face, dressed in an all-green version of the Fiddler's outfit, and that's pretty much the guy you've got here. And he is uh, fiddling with the controls of a giant Superman head. You heard me right. It's a giant head of Superman. And these weird blue beams are coming out of the pupilless eyes of this giant Superman head. And they're zapping Clark Kent, who's standing stiff as a board and looking all mesmerized. And it's weird because the Superman head is speaking and it says, Observe, Master, I have super hypnotized Clark Kent to hate his best friend, Superman. And uh, Clark Kent is saying, I hate Superman. I will seek him out and destroy him. And <laughs> at the bottom of the uh, of the cover, it says, Featuring the head of hate. <laughs> 
Yeah, we're in for a wacky ride, folks, so strap in. So we turn to the uh, the title splash here, and it says, Someone must be kidding. Yeah, that's what I thought after reading this. How can you brainwash Clark Kent into killing Superman when they are one and the same person? You figure Clark's putting on an act, right? Wrong! In a diabolical sneak attack on the meek reporter's mind, his emotions are warped, twisted, and charged with fiery hate for his own alter ego by the infernal influence of the head of hate. (laughs) And this title splash is awesome. We have Clark Kent. He's in his typical Clark Kent suit, but he has his jacket off. And uh, he is just roundhousing a gorilla dressed as Superman. And he's saying, you don't deserve to live, so die, Superman, die. And he's delivering a thunk to the gorilla. The gorilla's tipping over backwards going, Rargh! <laughs> And you've got the maestro-looking dude. And he says, ha-ha. We brainwashed Kent into clobbering that washed-up old gorilla. Now we'll train him to kill his friend, the real Superman. Oh, boy. Okay, so this story starts in the Metropolis Palace Theater as Ventor, the famed ventriloquist, finishes his act. And Ventor is dressed as Lex Luthor, and he is holding a uh, Superman ventriloquist dummy. And they pull off this goofy little act where the Superman dummy smacks Luthor in the face with a pie. And the audience goes crazy, and they're saying, that Superman Luthor bit is Ventor's funniest comedy sketch yet. Which, uh, yeah, if that's the funniest thing he's got in his arsenal, I don't care to see any of the rest of the act. Thankfully, we are spared that. And we're soon uh, we're witness to Ventor leaving the theater. And he runs out to uh, the car that's waiting for him. He says, hurry, we're late. My twin brother, Bruno, will be waiting. <laughs> and the, the driver says, I'll step on it, boss. So shortly in a deserted warehouse, uh, Ventor walks in. And this weird duplicate of him is sitting in a, in a wooden wheelchair. And he says, come in, Ventor. Your act was a riot. I laughed all through it. And Ventor says, thank you, Brother Bruno. And we see these guy, this, uh, yeah, this, like, worker guy. And he's he's got a, one of those uh, spray, uh, what do you call it? It's like an airbrush. He's, like, airbrushing. He's painting this mock-up of an armored vehicle. But the armored vehicle is actually made out of wood. Okay. And... So Ventor says, uh, or actually it's Ventor's brother says, a perfect job, that armored truck. Right, Ventor? And he says, a work of art, brother Bruno. Superman's friends at the Daily Planet will get quite a surprise. So just then, uh, Rena walks into the room and she's uh, shaking nervously. It's this uh, cute little blonde girl. And she's come to pour coffee for Bruno. And Bruno says, careful, Rena, baby. How come you always get the shakes when I'm around? Well, it turns out that uh, all of Ventor's associates and henchmen and everybody, they're kind of freaked out by Ventor because the Ventor kind of has a pseudo, you know, the Batman villain, the ventriloquist. He kind of has a, 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 he's kind of like a proto ventriloquist in the way that uh, the ventriloquist, the Batman villain, the ventriloquist, he uh, 
he has an alternate personality called Scarface that he carries around with him. And Scarface, you know, talks to him as if he's a real person. And he, he actually physically abuses the ventriloquist all the time and things like that. Ventor has a similar thing going on here where evidently Ventor has a great hate for Superman because at some point in the past, Superman busted Bruno for what? I don't know. And Bruno ended up dying in prison. And Ventor snapped. He couldn't deal with this. And so he recreated his brother as a ventriloquist dummy that is wheeled around in a wheelchair by Ventor's henchmen. And Bruno, uh, Ventor speaks for Bruno and refuses to acknowledge the fact that Bruno's actually dead. And as, as a matter of fact, on page three, we get Ventor slapping one of its henchmen that dares fill us the reader in on the sole backstory of the real Bruno having died three years ago after Superman put him in stir and uh, Ventor goes all weird about it. And so later, Ventor's men sneak into the uh, Metropolis Armored Car Service and they drug one of the guards. Well, and after the guard passes out, they switch a real armored vehicle for the wooden one that they had uh, mocked up and spray painted and they leave it there. So the next day at the daily planet, we see uh, Perry white. And again, he's kind of filling Clark Kent and us, the readers in on the fact that uh, an armored truck is due by to pick up money that was collected by uh, schools and civic minded citizens. He says for the planet scholarship fund. And he has Clark Kent tag along to write up the story. Now I'm thinking, why would Clark have to ride along in the armored car to get this? It just doesn't make any sense. Other than the fact that the writer needs Clark Kent to be in the armored car. So that's the, uh, that's what we're going on with here. So the armored car, of course, drives out to the middle of nowhere. And this was all Bruno's plot to, uh, to seize the armored car and his men come popping out of the woodwork and they're laying into the uh, armored car with shotguns and machine gun. You know, he's got this guy with a Tommy gun. Another guy's uh, shooting it with his revolver. And the uh, driver of the armored car, he gets hit and he's wounded. Um, Clark says here that uh, the guard's head was uh, creased, uh, was only creased so far. So he's not dead or anything. And Clark uses his superpowers, you know, his super speed and his invulnerable hands to stop all the other bullets. And the armor car uh, grinds to a halt and Ventor's men come and they uh, bust into the thing and they find Clark Kent. So Ventor, he realizes he has uh, quite the catch here. He has Superman's best friend. And this kind of threw me. I was like, when when did this whole thing come along with... with I know that it's known in this era of Superman that, that Clark and Superman were friends and everything, but, I mean, it's really played up that he's like Superman's, you know, best buddy and all that. I, I thought that was kind of Jimmy Olsen's role. But anyway, he realizes he has quite the catch in Clark Kent and takes Clark Kent back to his secret hideout slams him down in a chair and Clark decides to kind of play along to see what's up with this whole deal. And Ventor reveals his giant Superman head. And he says that he built it uh, with parts of a defective Superman robot that he ambushed and wrecked with a big electromagnet. Now, 
Okay, I can buy all that. You know, Superman has robots and everything, but... Okay, they're normal-sized robots. I mean, they're Superman-sized robots. Where did this giant Superman head thing come from? I mean, did he salvage a Superman robot and then turn it into just a giant Superman head? Why would you do that? I It makes no sense whatsoever. But, of course... Clark doesn't realize that he's in any danger. He thinks, hey, I'm Superman. There's no problem here. So he's kind of going along with the gag. Well, the problem is that this thing really works. And so Ventor starts playing around with the controls. And he says, I rewired the visual and oral circuits into a super hypnotron, which could even mesmerize Superman. And so the Superman head... The, it starts doing this weird, you know, Steve ditko thing with the eyes, and it's looking at Superman and everything. It says, listen, Kent, you are under my control. From this moment, your cowardly instincts are released. You will fear nothing, no matter what you are commanded to do. And Clark says, I will fear nothing. Nothing! And Bruno, remembering again that Bruno is just a ventriloquist dummy, Bruno says, that's quite an act, but how do we know Kent got the message? And Ventor says, we're going to test him. So they take Kent to this place called the Coliseum. Now, how they can just walk in and start using this place is beyond me. It's some sort of like circus circus type of place. (laughs) They walk in and they they order Kent to go up and walk the tight wire. Not realizing, of course, that he really is Superman, so he's able to do this because, well, you know, he's he can fly and all that. But instead of just using that as the reason why he's able to do this and he doesn't fall and he has no fear of falling, instead, it's footnoted here that uh, he says, Though brainwashed, Clark is still the Man of Steel, instinctive, instinctively using his, not flight power, his super balance. Super balance. All right, let's add that to the list of powers that... (laughs) Okay, super balance. All right. So they're amazed, of course, that he's able to do that. And, and, you know, it doesn't stop there. They've got to continue to test him. And so they light a fiery ring inside a, a bucket of water at the at the bottom and they have him basically walk off the tight wire Uh, there's a plank at the end of the tight wire and they have him walk off and dive in (laughs) it reminds me of that bugs bunny cartoon where yosemite sam keeps falling off the the plat he's doing the uh the skydiving act It's, it's just hysterical kent survives this of course he does he's actually superman and so they take him back to the head of hate, realizing that, okay, it it seems like it's working all right. And they give him another dose. And this time the giant Superman head says, Kent, Superman is your sworn enemy. You hate him, understand? You hate Superman. And Kent says, I hate Superman. I hate Superman. <laughs> it just gets weirder from here. So then, in the scene that was alluded to in the splash page, they trot out a gorilla wearing a Superman costume. And Bruno, again, remember, Bruno's just a ventriloquist dummy. Bruno says, a gorilla and a Superman costume? What gives? And Ventor says, 
Pongo. <laughs> Which makes me think of Congo, the swinging Christmas ape. He says, Pongo is a washed up old ape I rented from the circus. He has just enough strength to put Kent through his final test. I dress Pongo for the occasion. And Kent sees this and he goes nuts. And he slams into Pongo. He says, Superman, my enemy, I hate him. I'll attack him. Inventors egging him on. He says, come on, Kent, you can take that ape or uh, Superman. (laughs) Bruno says, bah, the gorilla will make hash out of that punk. Now, you know, I don't care how old and washed up an ape is. Come on, an ape would tear you to pieces. But they don't seem to think anything of the fact that uh, Kent just wallops Pongo He's clobbering him, he's knocking him all about, and he takes the ape down. And there's actually a moment, really nice, uh, nicely illustrated and, and full attention that I liked a lot, where Kent actually has Pongo, he has him over his back, and he has one arm um, over Pongo's like midsection, and then the other arm around his neck. And it looks like he's he's about to just snap him in two. But something kicks in, in Clark's mind and reminds him that, uh, you know, subconsciously he realizes he has a code as, as Superman, he has a code against killing. And so he can't kill Pongo and he leaves this poor gorilla just lying stunned on the floor. It's actually very pathetic. The, the look on the ape's face and Bruno takes this as, as proof that, ah, he's, he's still a wussy after all. And, Ventor says, uh, I was preparing for something like this. I have another angle. He says, so you think Superman is your friend, eh? He says, you'll change your tune when you get a gander at what's behind that door, Kent. And Kent goes over and opens up the door. and He finds Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and Perry White, his closest friends, and they're dead. According to Ventnor, Ventor, I keep wanting to call him Ventnor. It's Ventor. Vent, Ventor tells him, it was Superman who killed them. And then he thinks to himself, ha those quote-unquote bodies are really just life-size ventriloquist dummies I rigged up earlier to con Kent if everything else failed. This guy plans for everything. So that does it. Kent is just livid pissed. But Ventor and Bruno, they're still not entirely convinced that uh, that's you know Kent's completely able to to pull off the job that they want him to be able to pull off, and Kent's even muttering to himself, "But I I, I can't do that. I can't kill anything because they want him, of course, to go take on Superman." And how exactly they expect Clark Kent to take on Superman? Not quite adequately explained, at least so far in this story. At this point, Bruno, he just says uh, to his brother, he says, See, wise guy, the book said you can't hypnotize anyone into committing an act he wouldn't normally do in life. And Ventor says, Yeah, I guess nothing will wash that yellow streak out of Kent's spineless back. And then, for some odd reason, they just leave him alone. I I guess actually he is in some sort of cell. It's just not made readily apparent. But they leave him there, and they leave the uh, the book behind. The book is called The Science of Hypnosis. It's actually misspelled on the cover. It says Hypnos. 
Actually, I guess maybe Clark Kent's hand is over the, the last I and the S. Anyway, he picks up the book and he starts reading. And he says to himself, they're right. I must be a coward or I'll find the courage to kill the man who murdered my friends. And he starts reading the book and he gets to a chapter on self-hypnosis. And he goes over to the mirror and I guess not at this point realizing or remembering that he actually is Superman he uses self-hypnosis which i'm guessing even though the story doesn't say so i'm guessing that he actually kicks in his super hypnosis power which again another one of those wacky powers that superman had in the silver age and he actually manages this time to basically do what ventor originally set out to do which was make him just a tough as nails killer ready to take on superman and so Soon we see Ventor and Bruno. They're just hanging out in these chairs. They're talking, apparently. And, and when suddenly Kent comes bursting back into the room and he says, Where's Superman? Where is that murderer? Show him to me. I'll take him apart with my bare hands. <laughs> and one of the two guys, I can't tell if it's Ventor or Bruno, because they look exactly the same. He says, Wow, is this for real? The mouse is roaring like a lion. And Kent picks up a chair and he smashes it into the face of the giant Superman head. And he says, there he is now. Die, you beast, you mad dog killer. And he's, the last panel is him. And he's holding up his fist as he's pointing at the shattered Superman head. And he says, but this was only a robot. I want revenge on the real Superman. Where is he? And he's just looking just maniacal. And Ventor says, patience, Kent. You can't tackle him yet. And, okay, now it's finally revealed. They must realize that, come on, even if you're you're crazy and you're enraged, you're just a regular dude. This is Superman we're talking about you taking on here. Bruno says, you'll need special weapons, but we'll help you get them. <laughs> I love it. How can Clark Kent assassinate Superman when he himself is the Man of Steel? We'll be here at the same old stand with brand new thrills in the cataclysmic conclusion of this per perfidious, perfidious, I'm going to have to look that one up, perfidious, perfidious plot in the next issue of action. And there's a Supergirl backup feature, which I won't go into. The art's very nice. The story was kind of dur. Um, oh yeah, there's also a beautiful, beautiful ad. Actually, you know, I should probably thumb through this and look at the other ads real quick, but there's a gorgeous full page advertisement here for Dead Man in Strange Adventures. This does not look to me like Neil Adams. I guess it could be. It actually looks a lot like, um, oh my goodness, I'm going to blank on the artist that I think this is now. There's a face in here that I should definitely be able to uh, identify the artist, but I'm, I'm completely blanking at the moment. It's that artist that started... Ah, it's driving me crazy. It was the early days of, uh, of the Spider-Girl title. The original artist before Renz... Uh, yeah, Renz. Friends. Ron Friends took over. Oh, I can't think of his name. No, I know it's not him. He probably... I don't know if he was even born in 1968, but uh, there's a woman in the picture here that definitely looks like one of his faces. Anyway, 
nice full-page ad for uh, for Dead Man and Strange Adventures. If I remember, if I have time, I will uh, I'll scan that and throw that up on like Facebook or something so you guys can see what I'm talking about. It's a really nice looking ad. Let's see what else is in here. We have. Uh, you know, your standard, you know, here's all the crap you can buy, you know, like trick gum and x-ray vision glasses and all that junk. We got, uh, some Aurora cars. They're calling them cigar box cars. Kind of like Matchbox, maybe? <laughs> I guess that was a competitor for uh, Matchbox and Hot Wheels, if Hot Wheels were even around in 68. I'm not sure of that. Nice advertisement here for the flashiest news of the year, the 80-page giant Flash for 1968. This is the Flash number uh, 178, which was an 80-page giant. looks kind of cool. It's got uh, Jay Garrick and uh, Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, Kid Flash. looks kind of neat. I like the cover on that. don't actually own that issue myself. Uh, nice ideal... Uh, it's like a... What do they call this? Go and Grow with Motorific's new special sets. Yeah, it's a set of uh, one of those like layout things you could have for your little cars to play on. You know, with, like a little fake gas station and car wash and stuff like that. It's neat. I used to have stuff like that when I was a kid. Uh, what else have we got in here? Um, oh yeah, that's right. It turns out that Mix Mix's Spitlick was the villain in the Supergirl story. That's probably why I didn't care for it very much. Um, that's about it. There's a direct currents in the back that, uh, is talking about the books that are, you know, the other DC things that you can get at the time, which is funny because the, uh, the two that are advertised, neither one of them superheroes. We have, a uh, Arm, Our Army at War with Sergeant Rock and, uh, Tomahawk, which, uh, has a really cool cover. That looks like that might be, uh, Neil Adams as well. And that's pretty much it. So, the big question that you're probably asking yourself, why in the hell did you cover this book? This is one goofy, goofy story. Um, there's a couple of reasons. First off, uh, the, the cover date, not cover date, but the, you know, the indicia date in this, of course, is April 1968. Um, I myself happen to uh, be released in 1968, April, as a matter of fact. So, uh, I am the same age as this issue and I, at the moment, can't tell which of us has aged better. Um. We both have uh, our Reese's and Crinkles, so there you go. But the primary reason that uh, I wanted to cover this is because it's set up for one of my favorite Superman stories of all time. At least I, you know, to my memory, it was a fantastic story. I have not reread it. I don't think I've reread it since I was a kid. So I'm really hoping that it holds up to you know, my memories and, and, and this buildup for it. But anyway, I, I pulled that issue out, you know, the first issue of that story out intending, uh, the issue after this one to be the episode, you know, the issue I was going to cover for this episode, started reading it and realized, Hey, wait a minute. This starts as the continuation of a story that was already happening. I didn't remember it that way. So I went back an issue and realized that, okay, the story actually starts with this issue. Um, I will concede that, yeah, this isn't the greatest issue. However, I'm hoping you'll stick around and, uh, and come back for more on this story because it definitely steps up from here um, next time around. Not quite ready to reveal which uh, storyline we're, we're headed into. You know, you guys could always cheat and look it up and find out, but... Uh, I'm hoping you'll kind of play along with the game here. Um, 
Real quick, I wanted to cover uh, the credits on this one here. I actually had to look this up because this is one of those issues. Uh, there's actually no credits given for any part of the story whatsoever as far as writer or anything. Um, it's actually written by Leo Dorfman. Now, that's a name I know, you know, in the, in the sense of I've heard it before, but I didn't really know anything about the guy. I'm going to get back to that in just a moment. I was trying like crazy as I was reading this issue the other day to figure out who was the artist on this because it looked vaguely familiar and I don't really dig it yet I could really see the potential in it and I kept looking at it going this is an artist I really should be able to identify and just can't well it turns out that it's penciled by Ross Andrew, who I really, really like, and uh, inked by Mike Esposito. And I'm just thinking, uh, you know, this is completely a guess, but I'm thinking maybe this is early Ross Andrew or something. I, I'm really not sure. I can Now that it's been identified to me, I can see it. As I flip back through, I'm like, oh, okay, yes, I can definitely see this. Is, but at the time, I really couldn't figure it out. I, I kept thinking maybe it was Al Plastino. Um, whose art is, yeah, I, I like it all right, but I mean, not my favorite. His characters tend to look a little beefy, and Clark Kent definitely looks kind of kind of chunky in this, kind of beefy in this. But as I say, it's not bad art or anything. I, I would actually compare this art style a lot to the uh, the Superman cartoon that I believe was on right around this this era. I, I'm not sure exactly when that aired. I never really watched much of that because I didn't really care for the art style and the stories were kind of, i got to be honest, they were kind of stupid. But that's def I think the art style in this is very reminiscent of that or maybe the art in that was very reminiscent of this. I, I'm not sure. Again, I'm not sure on the exact timeline of that cartoon. I just know that one reminds me of the other. Um... Going back to Leo Dorfman, though, just because, you know, just out of curiosity, it was like I say, it was a name I, I, I knew, but only in the vaguest sense. I looked him up real quick, and um, just according to uh, what's what little, very little is available on him on Wikipedia, I just thought it was really interesting here that, um, that Mark Evanier, I'm never sure I'm pronouncing this guy's name right, uh, I'm going to say Evanier, uh, has estimated that Dorfman may have been, quote-unquote, the most prolific scripter for Superman during the 1960s. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, according, again, to Wikipedia, he actually created Pete Ross in 1961, which I thought was pretty cool. And he wrote the classic uh, 1963 Superman Red, Superman Blue story, uh, which inspired a year-long plot arc in uh, 1998. Yeah, and I actually liked that a lot, the the, la the latter, uh, you know, the more, quote-unquote, modern version of Superman Red, Superman Blue. But that's neat. I didn't know that. I am very, you know, fairly familiar with the, um, you know, the classic Superman Red, Superman Blue story. I've definitely read it a couple of times over the years, had no idea. So I just thought that was interesting and wanted to, to throw that out there. Um I think largely because comics, when I was a kid, weren't real big on crediting people. I just, I'm not really familiar with who wrote what, you know, back in this era of these classic stories. And 
so as I'm kind of going back and looking at things, you know, in my collection, I, I'm trying to really make more of an effort that if the information's not given to try to look it up and find out because it's just one of those things where, you know, there's so many classic stories that, that I love so much and, and have enjoyed over the years. And then I get to thinking that, gee, I have no idea, you know, who did this, you know, who, who was the, the, the minds behind this. I can't, that was kind of evidenced um, a couple of episodes ago, you know, when I was talking about that return to Krypton story, I didn't remember that it was Jerry Siegel. I may have heard that at some point before, but I, I didn't remember it. So I thought that was, uh, that was interesting. Anyway, I think that about wraps us up for this time. As I say, I, I know that this wasn't the most fantastic issue. I know that it's, uh, well, frankly, it's damn silly, but the setup for you know the you know the story that comes from this setup is in my opinion great and I think you're going to enjoy it so I hope you'll come back and uh, see what's uh, in store for you next time around now next time around is going to be 2012 so I hope you all have a merry merry Christmas and a happy New Year a safe and happy New Year. But that is it for this time around. Be sure to visit our website at www.twotruefreaks.lipson.com for more exciting podcasts from several other sad and pathetic human beings who have nothing better to do with their time. Join our forum at www.forumforgeeks.com where you can comment on this episode and on the show in general and all of the shows on the uh, Two True Freaks Network. You can interact with me and with the other podcasters and your fellow listeners we have a great fun and friendly community over there and i really want you guys to be a part of it as always you can uh, email this show at back to the bins at gmail.com and of course i'm on facebook so you know send me a friend request drop me a line send me a message send me a pm whatever speaking of facebook if you like this show or, you know, any of our uh, Two True Freaks affiliated shows or just, you know, you're, you want to plug your favorite podcast, you want to help them out in some way, mention the shows that you're listening to on the social networking site of your choice whenever you're listening because word of mouth is still the very best way to let others know about the shows that you're listening to. And I'm sure that they appreciate it. I know I appreciate it because it helps to grow the listenership. So thank you very much for doing that. Thanks again for listening. And I hope you'll come back next time for I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, folks. Take care.